Okay, and let me tell you about a gentleman on a stormy night. It's a stormy night in America, and an elderly couple walk into the, the lobby of a small old hotel looking for a room. It just so happens that there's a convention in town, and there's no room in the hotel. It's 1 a.m. in the morning, and the clerk there looks at this, this elderly couple and says, look, I can't leave you uh, you know, without a room at this hour of the night. You know, every other hotel is going to be filled, to, filled as well. I'll tell you what I'll do. You can have my room. You know, I'm going to be on the desk anyway for a while, and I can manage. You take my room. But as you can imagine, the elderly couple were somewhat reluctant you know, to take this gentleman's room. But he kept insisting, and eventually they did. In the morning, as they were checking out, they came across the young clerk again and said to him, do you know what, young man? You ought to manage the, the best hotel in America. And this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to build you that hotel. Anyhow, they had a little chuckle about this joke that this elderly uh, gentleman happened to uh, be, be putting out. And some time went by, I think some years, and eventually this young clerk gets a letter from this gentleman saying, I want you to come over to New York. Here's a return ticket. And I want to show you something. And so so the gentleman goes over to New York, as you can imagine, wondering what he's going to encounter. And this elderly gentleman is there before this hotel. Okay? The Waldorf Astoria. And he goes, see this hotel? I've just built it. And I want you to manage it. You can imagine the shock and the astonishment. That little insignificant act towards this elderly couple. But it was recognised. It was seen. It was taken note of and rewarded in the most astonishing manner possible. That clerk's name, you can Google his name and the story, George C. Bolt, how he became the first manager of one of the leading hotels of the world. It figures in many movies. It figures in one of my uh, favourite movies. Uh, Somewhere I fancy staying one day. If you ever want to give me a treat, that'll be a cool one to give me. Maybe when I'm 50 or something like that. Uh, Or even 47, because that's that's much sooner. Okay, 47 is coming up, and it's an ideal 47th birthday gift. Look, today we want to look at blessings and provisions, how what we do is noticed and and taken note of, and there's, there's not repercussions, there's blessings to follow. But let me begin by last week, just a quick recap. Last week was grace in operation, grace in operation. We said that Boaz took the time to notice Ruth. Look, I wonder if you've noticed any new visitors in our midst this morning. I'm sure we have, haven't we? After the service, ignore them. (laughs) Not really. We don't do that with our visitors. Look, Boaz, when he noticed this young lady, he he went up to her, spoke to her, spoke to her kindly. When he realised who she was and what she'd done, he shows the most amazing grace towards her. And we said, remember we said that Boaz pictures Jesus, he points to Jesus, the whole of the Old Testament 
points to Jesus. Every character, every leading character points to Jesus in some way. Every key character. Boaz points to Jesus. Just as Boaz showed Ruth grace by caring for her, so Jesus, we told him John 1.14, that he came from the Father full of grace. If Boaz extended grace to Ruth, Jesus extends grace, abundant grace, to us through, uh, through his work on the cross and his relationship with us. So when we've come to Jesus this morning, we've come to him. If you're here, you've come to Jesus. When you came to pray or for prayer, you were coming to Jesus. Whoever prayed for you, you were coming to Jesus. When we come to him, I want us to understand, friend, and I'm sure the Bible, this is the message of the Bible, that you're not to come fearing. We've moved from a covenant of fear to a covenant whereby we're called and we're invited to draw near to him. And, and just as Boaz drew near to Ruth and drew her near to him, we're coming to one, friends, if you haven't realized it, who's full of compassion, mercy, and grace. It's not written about Jesus. I don't know if you know this. It's not written about him that he's come from the Father full of wrath. Have you ever read that? You haven't. And if God wanted to communicate that message, do you know he's pretty good at, he's pretty competent at speaking? Much better than me. And that's not in scripture. Okay? Rather, we're told when Jesus came, he came and he was full of grace. And when you look at how he conducted himself towards sinners and the worst of them, who knew they were sinners, it was with grace. And Boaz exemplifies that for us. And so when you come to Jesus this morning, you're coming to someone who wants you to be there, who's gracious towards you, loving, full of compassion, care, love. That was grace in operation last week. This week we're moving on, point number three, from chapter two, and we're concluding chapter two today. What time did I start? Okay, I 11.30, I started at 11.30, so I've, I've got quite a bit of time left, okay? Right, I'm just keeping an eye on the clock. I promised Denise I wouldn't go on too long. Today now, number three, faith blessed. Faith blessed. Verses 11 to 12. So, why all the kindness? Why has Boaz gone out of his way to be kind to this foreigner? Okay? Okay? Look, you know, foreigners don't get on well, do they? Wherever they find themselves. Okay, why is he doing this? Why such grace? What lies behind it? What's in it for him? Let me show you. Verse 11. Boaz replied in talking to Ruth, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Can you see what's drawn Boaz to this dear lady? He understands something of the significance of her sacrifice. I mean, the other thing, what kind of sacrifices has she made? She's left her family. I know, you know, I know when we get older, we just want to get away from family, don't you? you know, after uni, and, you know, no one wants to return home, it seems. 
But in that culture, in that time, very similar to how things are in the Middle East today, family was your identity in the world. And so by coming away, she's leaving everything she knows of family, of her culture, of her diet. Okay? She's, she's leaving all that behind. She's going along with Naomi. And Naomi isn't a wealthy lady. She's going as a widow, which means she has no means of supporting herself. Her best bet is to go back to her family, but she's leaving that behind. And she's going with a widow who has no means to support her. She can't support herself, let alone Ruth. Can you see the sacrifice she's making? But beyond that, her biggest, the biggest thing and the, the, the biggest reason that Boaz picks out of why Ruth has come to Israel is what? Why she come to Israel? It's in the verse 12. Have a look at it. At the bottom of verse 12. She's come to Israel because she wants to take refuge in, under whose wings? The Lord's wings. You see, if she'd stay back in Moab with her sister Orpah, they worshipped a god made of stone, Kemosh. Um, Could someone just get me a drink, please? Thank you. Uh, there will be no chance, no chance that she could worship Yahweh. It would be impossible. And so part of her migration, probably the heart of it, is that she wants to put herself in an environment where she can worship God freely. The God she's come to know seemingly through her mother-in-law. Baba says, look, we know, everybody knows. Word has gone around. What you've given up, you know, to take care of your mother-in-law, what a sacrifice. But more than that, you've come to a place where you can worship God, the true and living God, freely. You've come to take, to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. Thank you, Ricky. That doesn't taste like the stuff that normally tastes, Ricky. Okay, all right, I've got to ask for that, have I? Specifically. So look, she's come under the wings of God. There's great cost. And Boaz notices. Boaz jots it down. And Boaz responds to her by being the means of God's refuge for her. Can you see that? Look, what are we supposed to do when we encounter need? We leave here, someone, we may encounter someone begging, we may see some need, because the need of as a church. What are we supposed to do when we see need? James tells us that we're to meet the need. Boaz could have very easily said, couldn't he? You know, look, workers, take this woman home, we'll go and sort it out, give her something. But no, he does it himself. He takes the trouble to care for her. He blesses her. And my heading is this, is faith blessed. So Boaz is looking on her. No doubt he can see something of their patriarch, Abraham. Remember the sacrifice he made when God called him from the earth of Chaldeans? He left everything. We're told in Genesis 12. God says, leave your country, your household, your land. Big thing for him to do. And he did it. So it seems that Boaz can see something of a woman of faith, a woman of sacrifice, and seeing need meets it himself. It's faith blessed. We're going to see in chapters 3 and 4, if you bear with us in this series, Boaz isn't just going to provide for a grain. What's Boaz going to do for this woman in order to be the refuge that she's come to seek? He's going to take her in. 
to his home. God recognises and sees what you do for the kingdom. No one else may. Look, one reality, if you serve here, there's a roster that's just gone out, okay, and there's other ways you've served just financially. No one may notice, no one may even thank you. I mean, Jerry's been putting the boards out and all sorts of, I mean, no one's going to thank him. I'm not even going to thank him. Okay? God sees what you do for his kingdom. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples, Mark 10. Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel who will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. Can you see what Jesus is saying to you? There's not a thing that you've done for the kingdom. There's no amount of dollars that you've given to him. No hours spent at preparation for a Sunday school class. No time spent arriving early to put something away. No time spent going to visit somebody, giving them a gift, buying them a bunch of flowers, praying for them. Nothing that you do for the kingdom ever goes unnoticed. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. In whatever roles we serve, there can be unthankful roles, can't they? And if you're waiting there, having done something for the Lord today, and assuming someone's going to thank you, then probably not. Okay? But God notices. He blesses faith. Let me show you. Whatever your life looks like as a believer, whether it's suffering as a result of your faith, whether it's suffering as a result of serving him, whether it's just suffering as someone on a Christian walk. And we all face different scenarios, don't we? Look, I don't know how many people, about 40 people here today, okay? We've all got a roadmap for our lives, a roadmap that God has drawn up. And it's not the same. Someone over here may be struggling desperately financially. Someone over there may have ample supplies. Someone here may be suffering terribly with illness. Someone over here may be really well. Someone here may be needing direction, in bewilderment. Someone here may now have all their ducks lined up and know exactly where they're going. Each of our lives are different, but whatever it may be that you're in as a believer, and this is how it connects to Ruth, Jesus notices our Boaz. Because he's aware of the cost associated with our journey of faith and he blesses that. Not just with eternity, and this is one of the fob-offs of Christians that we can, you know, with all our piety. I'm always meeting Christians that are really, really, really pious. Too pious for me. I mean, it's all about how wonderful it's going to be in heaven and it surely is, no doubt. But Jesus is also interested in your nerve. He's interested in the journey that you're doing today. He's interested in what's going on in your heart, in your body, in your soul, now. He cares about that too. Look, when Paul was on trial, well, on, on the route to trial, in the latter part of Acts, being pushed from courthouse to courthouse, okay, not knowing what tomorrow held for him, do you know what Jesus did for him? 
Just promised him it's going to be alright in heaven. He didn't. He did much more than that. Do you know what Jesus did for him? When he was pushed from court to court? Listen to this, Acts 23, 11. The following night, the Lord, look at the words, the Lord, Acts 23, it's slide number 12. The Lord stood near Paul. The following night, the Lord stood near him and spoke to him. When Paul, what did Paul need more than anything at this juncture in his life, when he's serving the Lord, when he doesn't understand why this is happening to him, why he's going from court to court to court, Jesus comes to him and speaks to him, stands by him in his physical, resurrected body. And let me tell you, Christian, he can do that still today. Okay? And he does do that still today. But when Epaphroditus was ill, on the verge of death, on a missionary journey, serving God, close to death. Paul was weighed down with the pressure of losing his companion in the job. God steps in and heals him. Listen to this. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. God stepped in. Let me tell you, God performs miracles of healing in 2020. Okay? It didn't end when he died. It continues and it happens today. And if that's what you need, cry out to me. And in Acts 7, sometimes God's plan for us are beyond what we would imagine. And for Stephen, he was martyrdom. And yet, at the moment of his death, Jesus appears to him. Let's him see him and gives him all grace so that he may walk with him from life to death. You talk, it's impossible when they're dead, but to saints on the, on the deathbed. And many of them, whilst many of those who have witnessed that can tell you that they've seen a change in their state as they near eternity. Almost as though Jesus had come to take them to him from life into eternity. Let me tell you, if you're feeling death, and we will face, we'll all face it at some time, Jesus comes for you. Remember what he says in, Mark, in John 14? I've gone to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I'll come back to take you to be with me. Jesus comes for you. And he takes you by the hand and leads you into eternity. So whatever I need, however diverse it is, uh, whether it's like Ruth who needs provision and care and and a Boaz meets it, whether it's a Paul being pushed from pillar to post who needs Jesus to visit him, whether it's Epaphroditus on the verge of death and needs healing, whether it's Stephen on the brink of eternity and needs someone to walk him through the doors of death, from death to eternal life, whether it's a pipper needing multiple blessings en route to Australia, whether it's a morag with a life of pain and a Peter being brought into her life to, to recompense some of that anguish and suffering, whether it's an answer to a prayer that you need, whether it's a new job, a healing, provision of money, 
peace, whatever it is on your journey of faith, your Boaz knows about it and is working to meet you in your need. Today, in life. And so come to him. Compassion and love and grace await you. In fact, this is what he said in Matthew 11. Come to me. Who? Who who does Jesus draw? Who does he want? Who is he inviting? Come to me. You lot. Any weedy people here? Any weighed down people here? Any sick people here? Any lonely people? Any people suffering financially? Pressures? Loneliness? Jesus says, come to me. And for someone to invite you like that, it means he wants to do you good. He wants to bless you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, and I'll give you rest. Faith blessed. Faith blessed. We're going to skip over to slide 15, please, Greg. Our second and final point. Got a few more minutes. Abundant provision for the trusting. Abundant provision for the trusting. I'm really sorry, I keep needing things. Could someone give me some tissue, please? Thank you. Hmm? Oh, no tissues. Dinah's got, thank you, Dinah, thank you. So. Abundant provision for the trusting. If you ever watch any of the YouTube videos and they cut, and you're wondering, what is he cutting out? It's usually me blowing my nose. <laughs> Seriously, that's what it normally is. Okay, so number four. Abundant provision for the trusting. Look at verse 20. The Lord bless him, Naomi says. So Ruth's back to her mom-in-law, okay, with her provisions. And this is a mother-in-law's response. Listen to this. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. The Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen's redeemers. Kinsmen redeemers. Now, that may be a familiar title to you. Greg mentioned it last week. Okay, it has several implications. We're going to deal with it in weeks to come, okay? Several implications. The key one, and the one that's relevant for Ruth, is this. It's on slide 17. It's to redeem the wife of a deceased close relative, acquire legal right, in order to raise up the name of the deceased upon his property. Can you see what it's doing? Is to take the deceased close, uh, close relative and to make that deceased person's partner their legal responsibility. And Boaz is going to do that later. Well, that's yet to, yet to come. But for now, this kinsman, kinsman's redeemer is not acting in his full, full sense, but in his partial sense. He begins to care for her. We're not sure Boaz is thinking of marrying Ruth at this stage. There's no reason to think he is. It's early days. We can't even be sure Naomi's thinking about marriage here when she mentions he's our kinsman redeemer. I think the, the, the thought of Naomi may just be that he has a biblical warrant, a biblical obligation to care for Ruth. So for whatever reason it may be, he's going to care for her. It's a picture of Jesus 
his obligation towards us that he as our kinsman's redeemer, and again we'll look at this later, will care for us. But I want to show you this just for now, what Boaz has done, has done for him. She's in need, he's let her glean in his field, she's not just gleaning, he's leaving stalks for her, and we're told, look verse 16, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. So he's given her additional grain to pick up. And this is how much she picks up as a consequence of it. Verse 17, Ruth gleaned and she amounted to about an ether of grain. Do you know how much that is? Sounds like a little bit, doesn't it? I used to be an engineer. I was always working in microns. Microns are little bits. They're tiny, winny. There's a thousand of them in a centimetre. Is that right, Brenton? A micron? I can't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a long time ago, and I'm 47 now, nearly. Well, I don't know how old I am. Okay, but it was, it was a long time ago uh, when, I, when I was in engineering. Okay, so an ether sounds like microns, but it's not. An ether is 10 to 20 days worth of grain. That's how much Ruth has gleaned in one day because his workmen went a bit old. <laughs> you know, oh God, oh God, throw them out for Ruth. Throw them out for Ruth. You know, less for them to pick up, <laughs> I'm assuming. Okay, so she picks up about 10 to 20 days worth of grain. Now listen to this. When she came to Israel, Ruth 1.22, it was the beginning of harvest. We're told there, as the barley harvest began. We're told in verse 23 of chapter 2 that she gleans the whole of the season until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. So she gleans for seven whole weeks. We have to assume that Boaz would have kept the tradition of his workers throwing out grain for her going, in which case she was gathering at the rate of knots. Can you see? 20 days supply per day. If you work it out, and a commentator did it for me, okay, if you work it out, Ruth gathers enough in seven weeks grain to last her between eight months and a year. Assuming it goes all the way to a year, what does that mean for Ruth next year? It means she's employed with an income the following year as well. Can you see that? Because she'll be back to the beginning of the new harvest time. And so what can you see what Boaz is doing for Ruth? He's ensuring that she has enough grain, her and her mother-in-law, to last her throughout the rest of that year so that she makes it through to the beginning of harvest next year. This is abundant provision. This isn't just, just legal, biblical, mosaic legal requirement. This is abundant provision. My time is running out, so let me speed up. I'm going to speak even faster than I normally speak. So this is abundant provision. Here's what Jesus says to you. I'm going to cut to the chase, okay? Jesus says this to you. He wants you to know that because he has a kinsman-redeemer relationship to you, and we'll look at more of that next time, okay? He's going to ensure... That whatever your need in life, he will meet it. This is what he says, Matthew 6. So do not worry. Are you a worrier? I am. All the time. Okay, so what these lines are here. Do not worry. But instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus calls us, friends, to trust in him. Look, this is what he can do. He demonstrated it. The thing about Jesus is he knows he puts his money where his mouth is. And not only says something, he demonstrates it. When he says he can provide your need, 
He did that. When there were people who were hungry, 5,000 men, women and children on top of that, and, he, and there were no resources, he took five loaves, two fish, and fed them. And so he's demonstrating, friends, that he can meet your need. And this is what he calls you to do. He calls you to continue in faith. That's what seeking the kingdom means. If you put your heart and your life in Jesus' hand, he's calling you to continue, to not give up, to continue serving him, to continue reading his word, to be in prayer, endeavouring to obey it, continue to come to church and fellowship with his people, continue to, to put the priorities of the kingdom first. And as you and I do that, he promises, look, do not worry, but seek the kingdom first. And all these things will be given to you as well. And whatever that need may be. 2 Corinthians 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, you may have all that you need. So that you can abound in every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, slide 25. I'm going to finish. I want to just leave this with you, friends. You've come to one who has the means to abundantly provide for you. Emotionally, psychologically, materially, medically. And in every other way that you can imagine. So draw near to him. Stay close to him. Keep trusting him. We've said already, God's not finished with you yet. Many of God's blessings in our lives can span the years of our lives, or many years at least. There can be tests and twists and turns in the way. Sometimes he withholds for a season because he's doing something in us that we don't understand. There is a reason for the delay. There's always a reason. Keep trusting him. Keep drawing near to him. Keep putting his kingdom ahead of you. He will meet your need in a manner that he sees fit. Who knows? Who knows that today you may walk out of here, be healed. Who knows? Who knows that you may walk out of here and tomorrow morning get a phone call of a new job opportunity. Or or hear him speak to you through a text of scripture, a text of someone gives to you, Or even Jesus standing with you and whispering in your ear, Hey, I've got your need in hand. Leave it to me. I'm going to sort it out for you. I'm going to make it happen. It's going to be okay. Trust me. Take that with you, Christian. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The pagans do all that stuff. But you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, says Jesus.